Hello and welcome to That Tech Show, the show that reveals the magicians behind the magic that is everyday technology. Good morning, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm all right, Sam. How are you? I'm very good. It's pre-8am, pre-8am ramble, which is uh, uncommon. Yes, uncommon, uncomfortable. Although I, uh, I'm trying to get myself into a new rhythm. Normally, I wouldn't even be awake by this time in the morning. But since coming back off holiday from Greece, I'm trying to get into a bit of a fitness bent. So I've been up at like, I don't know, half six, seven o'clock every day, trying to go out for a run, wow. doing five miles or something like that. Trying hard. You're a mile person then. You're not, you're not tracking kilometers. No, I'm not actually even tracking miles, you know. I actually put a podcast on and I go and listen to it. You're a time-based runner. I'm a time-based runner, yeah. I've been trying to do an hour. And then I've got, um, I've got this great kit for inside as well. It's called, t- called a TRX. It's a strap system. And you sort of hook it onto the back of your door or actually um, a real hook if you've got one. And then you can work out pretty much every exercise you can figure out. You can work using this strap system. But yeah, the guy I was um, training with in Greece showed me how to use this stuff and it's uh, it's cool i like it because it's not like normal gym stuff because since coming back i've been trying to go to the gym and i just hate having all of the other people around i feel like everybody's watching they're probably not they probably don't care and coughing and sneezing yeah post-covid gym is not not cool really yeah and presumably this this piece of technology is smart to some capacity you can track it on your phone as opposed to a little <laughs> dial on it or something like that no it's literally a, like a strap with two hooks on the end or two handles on the end. How do you track your progress or, or whatever it is? Like I don't track my progress at all, you know. Oh, uh, okay, fine. I think the thing is like, I, you know, I put on a bit of weight through COVID like everybody else had. The weird thing is I feel different. I feel better, but my weight is not changing. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> what is it they say? that you, you, you don't notice that you're burning the fat because you're building muscle. But actually I did look this up. And so you can burn like, you know, one to two pounds of fat a week. But you can only put on like 0.2 pounds of muscle. So something's not happening. <laughs> yeah, something's not working. Well, um, I'm similarly, like over COVID and stuff like that, I picked up running and I was doing uh, lots of running. And, and my girlfriend actually run the Berlin Marathon last weekend. So kudos really? to her, sub wow. four hours, which is uh, impressive. But anyway, both picked up running and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And then over the last few months, I've been using resistant bands that hook onto my door and doing those every morning and and really enjoying that and noticing a big benefit on the mental health side of things and uh, really enjoyed it actually tracking my progress and and so how do you track your progress with a resistance band then i i just write it down oh okay so i I count how many reps but i i think i got into a rhythm like i'm not a hardcore gym goer i just wanted to maintain this physique that i have and what a physique (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> For those listening, I have a physique. <laughs> but as we've mentioned this morning, pre-8am as the uh, clocks draw in, it starts to become increasingly difficult to wake up and be energetic in the morning. So the last few weeks have been pretty shameful. I think I'm a summertime gym goer or, or, or exerciser. and I don't know, I'm going to try go for a run this weekend. I have had a cold as maybe why you might hear something in my voice i definitely had a voice in the intro for last week's episode but uh hopefully going to pick up the pace and and try not let the uh the the winter time um put, put an end to to my exercise so but anyway we have uh, we have a show lined up today oh yeah uh, so we do don't we that's why we're here who have we got on the show today uh so today we have rakesh ravuri now rakesh and i uh met back in 2013 when we both worked together at tesco 
I was young, fresh out of Amazon at the time, and perhaps a bit brash, egotistical, uh, opinionated, and uh, as if I've changed in any other way. I was going to say, you haven't changed. (laughs) (laughs) Other than getting older. So initially, I think I I probably rubbed him up the wrong way. Uh, But I think over the next sort of 18 months or so, we at least developed... I hope a mutual respect, enough that he'd accept our invite to join us as a guest on the show anyway. And so I'm glad that he's been able to join us today, or he's going to join us today, because he's a really smart guy and maybe the only person I know that has code running in space. So hopefully we'll get into that, but also what he's been doing since we last spoke uh, at Tesco, now that he's left the UK, gone back to India, and he's serving as the CTO for Publicist Sapient uh, via a stint as uh, as a director at Amazon. Sounds amazing. Yeah, it should be cool. Well, he's in the waiting room, so I'll let him in and then we can crack on with today's episode. Hi, my name is Rakesh Ravuri. Uh, I describe myself as an executive coder. I've been in the IT industry for more than about 30 years right now. Uh, originally started as a mechanical engineer, wanted to be a robo scientist, but now I ended up selling beans on uh, e-commerce websites. I have worked in companies like uh, Tesco, where I built their uh, online grocery platforms and marketplaces, then worked in Amazon, building their whole shipping juggernaut, if I should call that word. Worked in uh, the area of finance systems with uh, companies like Citadel, being in the middle of mortgage crises in late uh, 2008-9 timeframe. Been a, quite an exciting journey, um, but here I am. So I don't know how long it's been, it's been since we probably last spoke. I mean, what, like seven or eight years, something along those lines. But I think uh, selling beans was something we talked about on a daily basis because we were at Tesco together. Yeah, so that selling beans stuck to me because, uh, as you remember, Chris, whenever we went with a proposal, our CIOs and the other leaders used to make this comment, do you know how many cans of beans I need to sell to make this project reality? So I think it sounded pretty interesting to me. And I always use that uh, whenever I talk to my teams, especially working in the area of grocery, because it's a low margin business, people don't understand uh, what it takes to generate that kind of revenue. (laughs) How does the selling beans translate in other industries then? Because groceries, yeah, makes perfect sense. But say, you know, other other teams, how does that translate? It, it is the same thing, right? Like you engineers tend to look at shiny objects, the latest technologies and cool things. They sometimes forget about what the real business needs to do in order to generate the amount of sales or amount of revenue which is required. So if it is, if you're in a clothing manufacturer, it's the same thing, right? Like you need to uh, see what type of organization you're working with. If you're working with a luxury segment, yes, of course. Uh, some of the France companies which we work with, they sell a white t-shirt for $1,000. That's a different ball game. But there are others who sell uh, <laughs> a, 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 a small uh, t-shirt and make uh, 50 cents on it, right, as a margin. So then you need to think about how the volume and the, the range and the assortment, what they need to sort of create in order to generate uh, the, the total cost of ownership of the system which they're building. It's a really interesting mechanism, though, isn't it? Because it sort of like breaks it down into the lowest common denominator of like, you know, we are just selling beans, which I quite liked. I suppose that is different, though, if you're selling a thousand dollar T-shirt. <laughs> How many thousand dollar t-shirts is this going to cost? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's an easy conversation, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can measure it quite easily. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. 
Uh, so anyway, you described yourself as an executive coder. What what do you mean by that? Because that's a that's a that's a cracking term that I've not heard before. The reason why I use that term, actually, uh, I use that as a Twitter uh, uh, one-liner uh, to describe myself, and that's where it stuck. The reason why I use that is right now I'm playing the role of a, a chief technology officer um, in Publicis Sapient. And yeah, obviously, chief technology officer in most of the companies is considered as an executive role in uh, different companies. Uh, but mm. at a heart, I'm still a coder. Uh, that is what I do whenever I get few minutes, I am, I always have a coding window open somewhere. Um, and I continue doing that. Uh, and early in my career, I remember uh, 15 years back, uh, or maybe more, uh, people told me saying that, ah, if you want to progress in your career, you need to stop coding and get into management. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I never liked that statement. I was like, why, why should I stop something which I'm good at, right? Like, there will always be opportunities and people will need uh, uh, experienced coders too. So so I, I always remind people saying that even though I'm an executive, I'm a coder. So that's why I call myself an executive coder, right? So, so I mean, I, I want to um, go back into that sort of thing you were talking about, about, you know, having to make that decision to either sort of move into management, because that's a common thing. I, I think, you know, if we've got some people early on in their career listening to this, or maybe some people who were late on in their career who had to make this decision, it kind of feels like one of those things, right? You're going to, at some point, have to make a decision. If you want to progress, you're going to move into management. And I think that's changed, right? It's certainly in a lot of companies. You know, how did you sort of navigate that? Because I think when you were talking about this sort of 15 years ago, there probably weren't many companies out there that were actually giving you that option to progress to doing a role like you're doing now at Publicis Sapiens, where you can be hands-on and all that sort of stuff. You'd expect to have moved into just pure management and you'd be going, well, back in the day when I used to write in Perl, you know, which, <laughs> you know, or, or another sort of similarly maybe... I'm offending Perl people now in a dead language. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, you'd expect that people you'd be going, oh, well, you know, when I used to code 15 years ago, it used to be like this because there's a load of people out there like that. I mean, how did you sort of navigate that? Did you just know that you could progress into a more senior position and still remain hands on? Or did you find the right organization that would support you in that vision? Yeah, so it's an interesting question, right? Um, actually, I made a choice of doing something which I love. And I always felt that uh, if you do something you love and you're good at it, people will <laughs> pay for it. That's what I thought. I never I never planned for it. But luckily, I was in a period of time when this is something which uh, I also talk to a lot of my clients. And now, now it's happening. No, I no longer need to talk. Everyone knows this. Is IT has moved from a back office department to being in the boardrooms uh, driving the organizations, right? Right now, like mm. if you see the top uh, top five uh, companies, right, uh, in terms of revenue, right? Who are those companies, right? Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon. These are all tech companies. That is the definition, right? Like I remember like when we were working in a retail company and when we suggested something, people used to say, we are not a tech company, we are a retail company. No retail company yeah. right now lifts their hands and says that, right? Like everyone wants to be mm -hmm. a tech company. So I, I guess uh, being in this era helped me right now saying that, okay, now tech has to be in the executive board, right? There's no choice. Like everyone understands that if you're business strategy is not influenced heavily by a tech-driven strategy, then your business strategy is not really current. 
those days where business strategy was done by business people and then tech was a tool to just help in automating or like accelerating some of the pieces that was that was 90s and early 2000 that is gone nowadays companies clearly and and the wall street everyone asks you right like saying that okay what is your tech strategy to take on your competitors startups or whatever it is right like they want to see how a company uses tech and that is how the company is valued so do you think it's completely gone or you know with your work at publicist sapient are you um seeing clients that still need to come across that sort of cross that chasm yeah well I, they they still had to cross the chasm before covid but after mm. covid it has completely wiped it out right like actually covid has helped uh, enormously yeah. in that uh, picture uh, i keep telling to people right i start the conversation in step 2 uh, whereas like 2 years back or 3 years back when i started the conversation i used to tell them about how much their company needs to also have tech strategy as an equal partner that is no longer required for me right everyone understands the implications and covid helped them to clear the uh, what you can say acted as a wiper you can call it <laughs> clean the windshield and everyone can see clearly now so yeah because everybody did really have to make a, a, a significant leap i mean obviously we're doing this call via zoom because you're in india uh, so you know i think a lot of people would have had to loads of people have i mean zoom's just grown dramatically because people have had to use it that's really interesting it's it's moved people on that far yeah see see most of, I, i read somewhere uh, the statement and i really like that statement they say that uh, most of the disruptive technologies don't happen when the technology is first created right they happen mm. because of some events which makes the te- technology re- uh, relevant so zoom was there like 3 uh, years before i remember i had a zoom account before covid i liked it as a software i used to tell companies maybe we should use this instead of skype right remember skype was there um, uh, things like that uh, when when covid hit and people had to use they picked a software which is easy for the masses right like my my mom uses zoom right now right uh, and she had no clue about uh, video conferencing before this but my my 6 year old daughter now attends school on uh, uh, teams and uh, they, they they are so computer savvy because they were forced to do this so what's happening is uh, now everyone saw this right they can see their parents using it they can see their kids using it they, they are seeing everyone relying on digital technology so companies have is very clear that's why the vision is very clear they can see it like happening right in front of them and they said okay if you really have to survive in this brave new world you need to be digital right like there's no other choice and most most of the industries at least all the customer facing industries i am not seeing any uh, problems or laggards right it is very clear there are still some industries which are on b2b side or industries which are in back office side like basically like uh, they they may not still understand uh, the digital revolution or they are not uh, they know that something is coming but they they are still not seeing the implications so has that changed the nature of the conversation with your existing clients as well rather than just the you know the new ones that you were saying where you you start at step 2 how how's that changed for the for those clients then so for existing clients it is a different conversation right it's not about like they were already in a digital world but when sometimes like uh, i talk to them about implementing or speeding up their ci cd so that they can do say a, a 100 builds uh, every hour 
earlier they could have said and said that look maybe for google and amazon that's required but for my company i, I never need 100 builds to be it's okay for me if i do a weekly build right why are you investing in this creating this cloud based the ci cd pipeline to optimize uh, my go to production i'm not needed but during covid they realized like how the faster they make changes uh, the smoother the the things are automated so the conversation in already digital company is okay it is not the question of only high tech it is it is the norm right like so we need to mm. uh, automate everything we need to be at the state of the art so that is the di- difference in conversation with the existing companies for for companies which are not even digital they are scrambling to be digital but the companies which are already digital they have seen the peaks right like some of our uh, i can tell you grocery clients you will not believe it right they had 10x the amount of orders in couple of days when the lockdown happened everyone had started ordering groceries online right like so if you already had a website you are like i never have to bother about auto scaling well now you do right <laughs> you suddenly are seeing a massive demand and also things like regulations right like there were a lot of regulation initially right saying that uh, uh, the companies had to support saying the number of people in the organization number of people who are coming to shopping when those regulations came that means uh, every regulation means there's a change in your operating system or business workflow or uh, you you have to code something new and when you have to code something new you need the agility right and to need the agility you need automation and auto scaling all those things will come into picture and that is when they realize that oh it's not it's no longer about just google or microsoft every company needs to offer in that way so just listening to what what you're saying there it sounds like we've sort of had quite a spontaneous boom in technical understanding <laughs> just because of covid that's quite um it's quite profound really yeah so it's 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 not about understanding that's why i use the analogy of uh, a windshield wiper cleaning it it was always there yeah. it is just that clarity has been achieved and people could see it right people can see it happening so they understand the implications earlier it was like we are asking them to take a leap of faith saying that you will require it you will need it so they, then they were like no i don't see it but when they see this happening it's no longer about uh, convincing them they they can see it it's happening in front of them right so that is what i said it's it's more about clarity rest about understanding right like the clarity has been achieved right like people can clearly see the applications yeah i was going to say i wonder if there's some sort of analogy to change there you know in the way that people have this natural fear for change uh, or a lot of people have natural fear for change then you've got this sort of enforced change that comes along where we're all locked up in our homes for however many months depending on which country you were in and um you know why not just change everything and go and you know start playing with all these new technologies like zoom and ordering groceries online for the first time and all those sort of things yeah so see uh, impetus for change always happens when there is an external forcing factor right most of the times people look back in history and say things like world wars were always impetus for change like there's always a step mm. change when a world war happened or things of uh, uh, things which caused disruption right and then people adopted the technologies which are already being used but they were all they were only for early adopters became mass adopters so i think covid helped us uh, do the a war like situation right like it created that push mm-hmm. to create the disruption so i i think uh, uh, these kind of disruptions are actually good for the industry like uh, at least in my industry like mostly when i work in the digital space we we took a five year leap right like it doesn't mean that uh, things like people will never not go back to schools or something no no that will still happen but 
even when people go back to schools there will be lot more of online assignments like online work which uh, which will get allocated to people because it can be done right so it for, like schools forever will adopt digital right there will no longer be a school wherein like uh, before this if i asked you like uh, does my uh, child have an school account uh, maybe only the uh, the people in the higher standards or like people who are uh, working engineering degrees they had an school issued account right now every child from grade 1 has a school account right so i am I'm, i'm talking about that kind of change right like and same thing in india uh, if i take an example 5 years 7 years back the government came up with a scheme they just banned couple of notes overnight uh, they said like there will be no 1000 rupee note and there will be no 500 rupee note um, because they, they were saying that there were a lot of counterfeiting and people were uh, holding cash and so like uh, without paying taxes so that was the reason given but like overnight they announced that from tomorrow these notes will not be valid you will be given a very brief time to go and exchange it because if people are illegal they can't exchange it right like you will be you will be asked where did the money come from <laughs> uh, so that was an intention but what it forced people is because there was lack of cash everyone started using a mobile based payment mechanism right qr based code because like you couldn't withdraw cash from atms right uh, because the money was not even printed but that disruption caused india to become so digital in payment is amazing right like earlier i used to go uh, and buy something it was always cash right like you now i can go to a the smallest of vendor who is who has like a 4x4 foot uh, uh, a stall who is selling tea uh, and he accepts a google pay or like a, a payment uh, uh, mechanism online right so so this kind of disruptions will force things to adopt when you people could have made arguments saying that this technology a tea vendor will never sell that used to be the arguments right like before but when when a disruption happened everyone adapted it right so, mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, with all this clarity that's happened in, in with businesses knowing tech and and all the rest of it, how has your role changed? Like, has your role become easier? Have you have you had to adjust what you do? Uh, well, my, my my role has become <laughs> uh, uh, see what I was doing. I'm continuing doing the same thing. It has not changed. Like, if I ask me, right? But it has become harder because. there's uh, there's so much demand right now like there is a war for talent going on which you must have heard everywhere right because every company realized that they need to upgrade their systems and be more digital so anyone who is working in the digital space or in the it space right now are there in huge demand so if the demand spikes up obviously the supply will take some time to catch on uh, so right now my my biggest Uh, uh challenge is finding enough people to uh, execute the stuff which i need to execute but uh, it has become easier in terms of convincing people why they need to do that that part became easier uh, the execution became harder right so yeah because we recently spoke to the cto of a company called naked wines and he he explained that he enjoys that challenge of explaining and trying to win these technical solutions that traditionally have been so hard to try and convince the business that they need to implement but now that's kind of removed i guess someone like him would uh, maybe won't enjoy his job as much but then now you can focus on building the tech the difficulty is the teams like you say right is finding those people to implement so yeah so right now the biggest uh, uh, obviously the, the supply is limited so the only way you can scale is by 
training more people right so so we are investing heavily into how do we fast track uh, people to be more productive right how can we uh, look at uh, alternate uh, streams of people and make them more digital savvy right uh, so those are the things which we need to do and obviously the expectations have gone up right like so it is not that uh, like we have reduced right like people are trying to do more and more with digital um, but at the same time uh, you need to make uh, engineers uh, like it's almost like what we call it a factory right we need to create a factory which develops more engineers so i'm i'm involved in what i call capability development how do i develop more engineering capability and also how do i make them work one of uh, our company's vision was to make our company a world class engineering firm so that's a, a lofty goal to sort of set so i i, I spend a lot of time in helping the teams work the right way and also scaling up in the right way and so well first of all are you have you got a remote hiring strategy is sapient looking for onshore developers or offshore developers so yeah so right now we are open to everything <laughs> mm, you have to be you have to yeah be. so right now uh, I, I think that's that's good for uh, uh, if you're an IT developer you're in a great time right now right uh, you're in a software engineer there's no better time uh, to be a software engineer so right now we are flex- very flexible uh, we are telling people you can work from anywhere you want you can work at any time you want and uh, yeah flexibility is something which we are providing uh, all across the board and it is not like a temporary change right we we are committed to telling people right like no longer there's a concept of uh, you need to come to office uh, at least especially in publicis sapient we told people that you can work remotely uh, till whenever you want um, and it's only a, a small uh, what you can say expectations like okay at least for like uh, uh, x number of days you need to come to office if needed right but to like so that like you maintain that uh, human connection i think that's part of like that world class engineering firm that you're talking about isn't it is is how are you going to work in this new normal of everybody is spread all over the globe i mean how are you managing that i mean are you just muddling through trying to figure it out as you go along because I, i guess to an extent like we're developing new processes right yeah so so that that is very interesting chris right like when we started about in april of 2020 um i remember calling all my vice presidents and all my engineering leads and telling them saying that like please watch a, a please uh, start tracking more effectively your uh, velocity of your teams uh, start tracking the the wastage which is happening in your sprints because those are the things which we might see because people are all remote that's what we expected that's what we thought we are going mm-hmm. to do so keep a close trap on production so these were the instructions i gave to all of my leads uh, because that's what i was worried about saying that okay what is going to happen when we remote and then when we evaluated 6 uh, months later and when i saw the trends the productivity has actually improved <laughs> there were uh, there were no issues with uh, wastage uh, i thought like there will be wastage because of uh, people not being present in the same rooms and the meetings uh, and all i didn't see any co- concept of wastage no, the work life balance has actually uh, improved better because people were working in different times they were able to sort of uh, like if i'm working right now i go and log in log my daughter into a class and i come back and sit it's just a 2 minutes thing but it doesn't affect my work earlier i had to take a day off if i had to attend a parent teacher meeting right so i didn't have problem with productivity i didn't have problem with wastage uh, we we didn't have any issues of maintaining the quality because most of the system anyway or we are developing on cloud and we are having automation systems and all those things that continued as it is right and people uh, what we realized is 
earlier people used to say oh people are remote uh, the meetings are not effective um, you can't brainstorm mm. effectively the one of the biggest learnings i had was it was not effective if some people are in the room and some people are uh, uh, offline when everyone is mm. offline it works beautifully right like uh, there is there's no problem of people getting noticed or people trying to make a point because zoom takes care of uh, what you can say flashing the person who is talking on the screen like those things were already in place uh, and that happens automatically so if a person is trying to talk if you are there on a uh, audio conference i had this experiences right working with uh, in previously like 10 years back i used to be trying to make my point on the audio but in the room people are talking no one cares right like oh, there are a couple of people on the phone so i feel um, it has worked out so right now uh the the logic uh, uh the rational which most of the companies are using and including my companies we didn't see any problems we didn't see any effects and so why should we have to even go back to office um there is no reason for us there is not a single reason for us telling that this doesn't work yeah i think there has been a massive uplift in productivity i mean from a development perspective you know in london for example you you're going to be commuting an hour in the morning an hour in the evening no matter where you live in london because it takes an hour to get anywhere and I'm sure it's from my experience of uh, Bangalore for example it's worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that is the best part right I just absolutely love the fact that I don't have to commute and it has helped me right like I I I got into a rhythm of exercising right so I just absolutely love it and mm. I'm getting more time to code. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Well I mean the exercising is a really important thing I think because again that's that's part of that that work life balance and then think about how many builds or deployments you could do within that 2 hours as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, no I think that's really interesting. I mean the other thing I was going to touch on there as well is um you know when when we were working together it was in the UK and obviously there was a uh, you know the the Bangalore office for uh, for Tesco and there were definitely at the times you know difficulties coordinating and sort of working remotely between london and 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 bangalore obviously a load of that stuff has changed with the with the remote stuff but i'm curious from you now being probably more so on the other side of it because i imagine a lot of your clients are uh, are probably in the west now how are you managing that sort of interaction between the uk or America or anywhere else in Europe versus India and are you are you seeing it being different on the other side now and especially post covid No uh, see as i said right like the biggest challenge used to be mixed teams right when when part of the team mm. is in office and part of the team is remote that that becomes a challenge because natural human tendency is to relate to something which is right in front of us right so you make those eye contact you look at the body uh, um, postures or something and you tend to forget uh, a box like which is a conference box which is right in the center uh, uh, unless someone tries to scream saying that i have a point i have a point can you sort of listen to me and and uh, and that's what i observed right and now what happening is now since everyone is there on the same platform like a zoom or a teams when you when you're sort of using it and uh, the network has improved a lot right right now you can see right like uh, the way we are talking on the zoom when I, the way i can see you and you can see me it feels as if we are just sitting across the room right like i i, I don't see any big thing the quality of service of networks have uh, has improved tremendously and uh, so this is working the only challenge i see which was always there was the time zone challenge right like so um, so what happens is uh, we need to maintain a effective time zone overlap of people working in different time zone but that has always been there but uh, the other challenges have actually improved 
because uh, now people are more receptive to remote people so actually in my case the way i see it is the the working style has actually improved because people understand how to work with remote people more is uh, more better right so i mean india has always been attractive as an offshore place i suppose purely from uh, i think almost classed as, as like you know it, it's going to be cheap if we work with the with the fellows out in india you know are you finding it more in, more engaged with the with the the western clients now that there is uh, this this ease of interaction so the number one problem with indian companies right now is uh, uh, i talked about right talent and one of the reasons for talent is right now the companies in the west uh, are are okay with the people working remotely so all mm. the salaries in bangalore and india have gone through the roof so the cost really? <laughs> the cost arbitrage which you are talking about uh, has been completely shattered that is our one of our biggest uh, uh, disruptors out here right now and uh, this is no joke right um, you, you can look up on some of the articles every engineer has uh, has now a new offer of at least 50% of his salary raise 50% is wow. the normal if someone gets a new job right now he is guaranteed to get to get a 50% hike the salaries how caused a shift change because one of the reasons what's happening is all the good developers are now getting paid uh, remotely in what is what might be three fourths of uh, western salary but uh, that is two times of indian salary out here right which used to be normal uh, so the indian market the cost arbitrage is like getting thrown out of the water right so well, that was one of the things that you know struck me back when we were working at Tesco. Is I couldn't believe how low some of the salaries were in in India at the time. I, I, you know, especially when the quality of the engineers was so high, like for the most part, like the difference in salary was just insane. I, 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 so I'm I'm really glad to see that that's changing. Yeah, see, see again, like this is a disruption which I don't know mm. uh, where it'll end up in, right? See, one of the reasons uh, people used India was like, oh, I'm getting a cost arbitrage so I can sort of uh, do that. And always the salaries were tied to um, the location where you were in because they used to say okay mm. what is your state tax what is your living expense and that is how the salaries were calculated right like so uh, so the living cost obviously in bangalore was a lot different than london so that is the way people used to justify why the salaries were different from london to this one even though they are doing the same work and now that logic is being uh, questioned so now if everyone is working remotely so why should that person in san francisco home office get paid more Right, so it's a very interesting. Uh, I don't know where it'll end up. <laughs> so mm. no, it's a really interesting effect, though, isn't it? Uh, but the overall average salary has gone up because there's a leveling. Uh, there was a uh, there was a joke by one of the um, Indian startup founders, right? A pretty well followed founders. Uh, he was joking, saying that Bangalore has become too expensive. I'm trying to recruit uh, engineers from the Bay Area, right? Like so, that that sort of comes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. Well, I mean, the funny thing is, I suppose the you know thinking back, there were there was a lot of hiring that was going on where people would go to India on hiring events, and I'm thinking you know like like Amazon would go on a hiring event to India and then would find people they thought were really good, and they would relocate them to the Bay Area. So I suppose 
actually now it's cheaper for them to just go, oh, we'll give you a massive salary in India, but it'll still be cheaper than us relocating you to the Bay. And that is exactly what's happening. So people, the, mm. the average salaries in India have gone up and uh, uh, the car, the cost arbitrage for the companies might have reduced, but they're still getting it cheaper. They're still getting it cheaper than uh, recruiting people. So that is going to cause a massive disruption in this job market. And in India, it's already happened, right? Like, so right now, uh, it, it is so ridiculous. Like if you if you go for the last one year and see what is the average salary changes for uh, say the top fifty uh, percent uh, of the developers, you will be shocked. Mm. What 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 effect does this actually have economically or socially in India? Because like developers at this point must be like rock stars in the sense that their salaries have gone through the roof. Is it a life of cocaine and excess? Or, I mean, how, <laughs> how's it? <laughs> Thank God for lockdown so they can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, that is very true, right? Like I was talking to the other day to some of my uh, team members who are like, dude, I need to go to this other company because they are offering me a 100% increase, right? Like, And after some time, there is no loyalty or like there is no uh, there is no reasons you can give a person to stay when he's getting a 100% increase uh, uh, in mm. some other place. But I was telling him the same thing, saying that like, look, I don't know what's going to happen and how long this, is going to, this boom is going to last. So the only suggestion I can give is uh, save that 100% money which you are getting, still continue living in your means. Uh, I, I don't know uh, what you can say, how the world will change two years down the line, right? So there is going to be some correction or uh, disruption which is going to happen, which I'm really worried about, right? Because uh, anything which is up, will also have it down, right? So right now it's the uptime for all the engineers in India. But I, I have seen this happen in uh, 98, 99. I was in US. You heard of all the whole dot-com boom, right? At that time, mm. I just graduated. I can tell you a story, right? Like I just graduated from my master's in uh, uh, 98. This is like I was a fresh engineer, right? Obviously, I had zero experience. So there were companies which were flying me all over US and they were sending me limos to pick me up uh, for an interview. And the interview was over a pool table. This is like the height of dot com uh, uh, thing, right? Like if you're decently good, they treated you as royalty, right? I was like, dude, I was just a kid. I'm not even worked in real world anytime soon. And the way you, the, the, the kind of, uh, what you can say, the red carpets, which was rolled out to you. And I had a signing bonus, which was equivalent to my yearly salary, right? My first, for, for my first job. Wow, and I and, and everyone knows the story. What happened in uh, two thousand and all that, right? So I tell people like, like I've seen this. I've seen this happen, right? I know what's going to happen two years down the line. So. Heed the warning. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's totally the opposite for me. You started professional life in the midst of the uh, financial crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <do> that. <laughs> I can tell you, I wasn't being picked up by limos. Um, <laughs> right now, it's a similar analogy, right? Like, so last two years. Mm. Uh, I can tell you a similar thing. The, the students who graduated last two years, they virtually didn't give any exams, right? They had online exams or something. They, they, most of them were for the universities and colleges and schools were forced to uh, give a passing grade or like uh, uh, what you can say, everyone is graduated, right? Like there's no challenges. They were getting jobs on a platter. Right. Um, and these guys like, so I tell them, okay, you didn't write any exams and you got like good jobs. You have no idea what, how life, what life is. Right? <laughs> no, it's crazy. Right. But there's some very strange things happening as well. Socially. Like when I was at uni, I became uh, vice president of my student union, which, you know, is like an elected role. You know, you've got to go out and meet a lot of people. 
generally you're handing out lollipops and trying to convince them of sort of student level policies. But um, a, a friend of mine is still very, very active in the whole community. And he's been going out, he works as a consultant in student student unions. And uh, they're having their first proper freshers weeks for, for 18 months, I guess, you know, almost two years, where they've actually got to go and meet people in person. And they, they've got this new set of elected officers, and they don't know how to interact with people like physically. Like they have won elections where they've had to convince people of certain policies, but actually they're going like, how do I meet someone? How do I say hello to someone because they've got to welcome all you know as a student officer you have to welcome all these people to a freshers event you've got thousands of people coming through the door every day and they actually can't stick their hand down shake their hand and say hi how are you you know they because the social norms have just broken down entirely i mean it, it's it's very strange like all of these things have to recalibrate i guess no no very true right like even like for us in consulting industries we always used to tell people, okay, how do you dress to client meetings? There's a certain etiquette you need to follow and all that. Now I feel that we need to take a refresher course to all of the people, right? I have, they have no clue over the last two years. They never met any clients in person. They have never interacted, uh, uh, what you can say, being in a boardroom and talking to people. All that is like uh, going to be new skills. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, everyone's only dressed from the waist up these days, I think. I mean, like, belt sales must have gone through the floor. <laughs> I, I, I don't know the last time I wore a full pant, right? <laughs> There's plenty of stuff I still want to, I still want to touch on. Um, so, I mean, I remember vaguely years ago that you were telling me about code in space. Like this is a complete change of direction from what we've been talking about. But can you tell me about code in space? You've got code in space, right? Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of my history, right? Like, um, so I grew up in a, uh, my father was a rocket scientist, right? A proper rocket scientist. So uh, I grew up in a place in uh, uh, in India, which uh, which which is basically the, the uh, uh, what you can say, uh, the, the launch center for all the rockets in India. So it's a small island. And uh, that island is only meant to make and launch rockets. So my father was uh, employed by the Indian Space Research Organization. So all my life, I grew around uh, all these rocket scientists, right? Like, so the people who make rockets. Uh, uh, so my first internship was there in that, like when I was doing my engineering. So obviously, when you do internship in uh, uh, a space organization, invariably, whatever you do, at the time, I was uh, designing a part, which was finally used in uh, late... Uh, uh, 2000s uh, to uh, 2013, the part which I designed in uh, uh, 93, <laughs> they used Bloody that. Uh, yeah. so, <laughs> so that part which I, because like, it goes through so many tests and everything, right? right? So that was finally used mm -hmm. uh, by the rocket which launched uh, the Indian satellite to the moon, right? So, uh, but my part didn't go to the moon. It uh, it got burnt in the atmosphere, uh, only the satellite <laughs> went there. <laughs> I made the fin of the rocket anyway. So, uh, so my my association with space started from uh, uh, that time, right? So uh, while going to school, while going to engineering, I was working in that. And then when I did my masters, I did it in Texas A&M. Texas A&M is very close to Houston, which is NASA's uh, headquarters, right? So my professor uh, had some grants from the the space, you know, uh, from from NASA to develop some systems. So as a part of that, I was writing a piece of code which uh, which got deployed uh, in the, the International Space Station, right? Like so that that was my story of uh, my code being uh, <laughs> gone to uh, space in two two, two different uh, 
countries, right? One in India and one in US, right? So, am I right in thinking you told me that uh, there was a lot that you had to do around the testing side of things and making sure that actually the code had fallback mechanisms? Yeah. So, what happens uh, in 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 the space is most of our uh, processes get affected by cosmic rays, right? Uh, so cosmic rays is happens even even in Earth it happens, right? Like there was a, a mm. classic case study saying that uh, there was an uh, election which happened in Belgium. So one of the candidates uh, who was basically like one of the fifty candidates who were contesting, uh, who no one basically gave much chance of doing anything, suddenly uh, showed a tally which says that she's the she's the leader, right? Like uh, they were using electronic voting machines. This is back in ninety three. So people were like, okay, how can she uh, win the election, right? Uh, so they were like tallying the results. So the, if the number of votes counted uh, and the number of people who voted didn't tally up, right? And the exact difference was what the number of votes this person got. So there was a massive audit to figure out, okay, how did this happen, right? So did someone hack the system? Uh, how, uh, how, how did this ha- happen? And they finally figured out that like one bit in the 13th register got flipped and that is 4,000, right? Like, so you, you get 4,000 more votes uh, when that bit got uh, flipped. And they were thinking, okay, how did this bit get flipped? And then uh, there was a lot of research saying that, okay, this cosmic rays, these are high energy particles which get released from black holes and quasars and those kind of stuff. They are passing through everything, like you and me, even now. But when they hit a, a register, the register flips. And obviously, when you are there in space, you are exposed to more cosmic radiation because mm. there's no atmosphere, there is no buildings, there's no uh, things to stop those radiations are getting uh, shielded. So there is no guarantee that when you say I'm writing two to a register, it'll it'll still be two in the next step, right? So so how do you write code now, right? When in, in, we are all saying that okay, when I store something in the variable and then I read it out, I'm I'm guaranteed that I'm going to read the same value, right? That is how the whole premise of the code is based on. So how do you write a code when you're not guaranteed about uh, the last step? So that was the challenge, right? So so <laughs> so, so to do that, what they do is like. Uh, uh, so um, NASA does this, and I think most of the space programs do this. So they have uh, the special boards and processes wherein the same piece of code, line by line, when uh, when a clock ticks, gets executed in three or four processes, right? And then what happens is then uh, there is a coordinating program which says that okay, the, does all three match, right? And only then the next step is valid, right? Like so, if uh, uh, the majority of them match, and that is the value. So there is, uh, they are banking on the fact that the cosmic ray will not strike all these registers at the same time to make that bit flip happen in all the processors. So that is on the uh, processor level. Same thing, you have to do it at the code level. So when you write an algorithm, you have to write an algorithm in three different ways, uh, doing the same thing, but make sure that like uh, uh, if, if there's a mistake in the algorithm, two of the algorithms will be right. One of them might be wrong, right? So the bugs are prevented. So that saves lives and satellites and people falling on <laughs> satellites falling on people's heads. <laughs> so, so that is the unique learning for me, right? Saying that like, okay, everything which can go wrong can go wrong. Uh, so how do you sort of how triple redundancy? So so when I say like okay, when you sort like for example, right? Like okay, I'm sorting a thing. I'll sort by bubble sort and I'll sort by quick sort. Like so, there are two different mm. algorithms. So if they are not, the results are not matching, that means there was a bug in one of them, right? So so like that, if you sort of do a triple redundancy, suddenly your code becomes complicated, right? Now you you are doing everything three times, three different ways, and then looking at what happened. Mm. Sorry, I'm gonna have to stop this conversation right now. Can I just jump in and? 
can we just realize how crazy it is what you're talking about? You're talking about <laughs> writing code that protects itself against black holes and prevents quantum <laughs> flips happening. Like, what a world we live in. And you're just nonchalantly saying, yeah, we had to just write this code because, you know, these 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 neutrinos get flip, flung off a black hole. So your your code is interacting with black holes and it's just it's just it's just another day. Well, the code's intentionally not interacting with black holes. Well, exactly. <laughs> well, it, well, it was trying to put, it's trying to protect itself against those interactions. Yeah, it, it sounds interesting, but I tell people, right, like it's a miracle. The very life is a miracle, right? Like uh, I think a single event can sort of wipe us down all out. Most of the people don't realize it and we don't realize even the systems which we create or whatever it is are, are running by a thread, right? Like so, uh, so we need to be uh, conscious of that and there are all multiple ways to prevent that but that's all we are trying to do, right? Once we figure it out. So this early experience of like, you know, growing up on a on an island with a father as a rocket scientist and building, uh, you know, writing code that ends up in space. How has that affected your career? Like, you know, is this something you take in on a daily basis for like how you actually write code or how you teach people how to write code or, you know, how does it influence you? See, how it affected me, it, it gave me a good appreciation of uh, what matters. And also it gave me a confidence of like saying that, okay, things are not as difficult or, or as impossible as things can be done, right? Like like when, when people are shooting <laughs> rockets thousand miles up and controlling it, like then when someone says something is not possible, you look at them and ridiculously and say, well, what are you talking about? I have seen people do <laughs> better things. <laughs> so it gives me a level of confidence saying that, okay, we can achieve things. That has helped me a lot in my career because nothing was really impossible. I always felt that it is possible to do things. The other thing which gave me is like this kind of uh, uh, checks and balances, right? It gives you an appreciation of what what does solidity mean or what does uh, what you can say when you're talking about precision mean right like this precision and solidity the appreciation of that i think made me a better engineer right so mm. i think that anything is possible is a really good mantra i suppose for 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 every day working in software engineering especially because you know we really do have to solve incredibly difficult problems also want to touch on the after after we finished working together, obviously I'd come out of Amazon to to come into Tesco, and then you left Tesco to go into Amazon. So what was that? What was that experience like? The the contrast from Tesco to Amazon. Yes, it is a very interesting story. Right? Like I was working in UK, as you know, and I was when I came back, um, uh, I got a call from Amazon saying that okay, uh, we have a position. Will you attend an interview? The, the reason why I attended the interview was at that time we were talking in Tesco about our uh, revamping uh, the interview process and there was a lot of talk about, oh, Amazon does this, Amazon does that, mm. this, is their, uh, this is their process. So I was like more curious saying that, okay, let me attend the process and uh, get firsthand experience of what their process is going to. I, I, I was I was no intention of uh, seriously pursuing it. So when I went into the interview process, I was curious. I was uh, going through the motions. And then uh, they talked about the system which they were building. Um, so they were trying to build uh, Amazon shipping, which is uh, almost like similar to FedEx or UPS. And in you know, similar lines, right? Like how AWS was built. Internally, they built some systems and then they created a, a, a service which other people can use that service outside Amazon, uh, create a product out of it. So when they're creating this, um, and you know, shipping is a multi, multi-billion dollar uh, industry and Amazon was creating from scratch using the pieces which they have created and offer it as a service. 
it was very interesting and i was going to be uh, a part of the initial couple of guys who started this team so that sort of appealed to me how does a company like amazon build a product from scratch using the pieces which they already built and how do they go into new markets and how do they develop that so it was a it was a ride to me right so i went from 0 to almost like the revenue grew to 0 to 600 million dollars in 2 years and we launched wow. it in four countries so we launched it in india first and then china then in uk and then finally in us now it's and now it must have crossed even in more than a billion dollars in revenue so creating a product in 2 years which close goes close to a billion dollars was like and right right like uh, uh, and it was a great interesting journey for me to understand the whole because i was always on the other side uh, uh, on the the front end side like the basically of uh, the customer journey so the supply chain of it which actually makes the the e-commerce work understanding that space logistics and how the goods get moved was an interesting journey for me right so and 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 working at amazon scale was an attraction which i wanted to uh, experience well i'm curious about how like amazon's are oh, going to use their branding aren't they their peculiar ways of working <laughs> because um that's an amazon thing for those who aren't familiar so w- when i started at tesco i think i i think it's fair to say i pissed a fair number of people off probably including yourself uh because i was young brash ego driven and had all of this stuff that had come out of amazon and then i was coming into tesco which at the time and it's fair to say that it's changed was quite sort of buttoned up to the to a large you know effect you know if there was a problem they'd get on the phone to IBM largely to to say look there's a problem with the mainframe can you uh, help us uh, fix this problem obviously there were pockets uh, of real innovation that were going on that you know you were heavily part of but i was i think i definitely you know rubbed people up the wrong way with how i was approaching things as such a such a counterculture i guess to from amazon to tesco and i'm curious about your experience going the other way like yeah no but uh, see um, this is what the point i was making right so when when we started in tesco and when we are doing it uh, i i remember this right in one of the town halls when i asked something they said like oh we are not a retail company we are uh, we are not mm. a tech company we are a retail company that was the uh, reason why they were not open to some of our ways but frankly speaking people like you and me should get the credit of uh, taking tesco where we are where, where it is right now right like because yes we we were always wanting to work in a little bit more agile way little bit more more digital way if you can call it or more the tech uh, way that is what tesco wanted the reason why they brought us up is in that right but obviously you will face resistance from people change is always difficult for people right and uh, i'll not call it uh, being rubbed a different way it is like people who have not seen the the clarity right so for me going to amazon was uh, not, not any uh, what you can say it was not at all difficult right for me like when i came to uh, tesco before tesco i was actually in sapient and sapient used to work yes. in this way and before at sapient i was working in finance uh, in the hedge funds in uh, uh, what you can say citadel right like they were they you, if you can call rockstars they are complete rockstars right like yeah, mm. <laughs> so they like they, they were crazy right like uh, so working with high frequency traders uh, working uh, uh uh in middle of mortgage crisis uh, trying to evaluate a trillion dollar book and calculate real time risk and when i went back to amazon i'm like okay fine this is the same mode i used to work in uh, financial services yeah. so 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 for, uh, since i had experienced for before for me it was not a big change right i knew what to expect and what to do right so more of a relaxing then a weight off your shoulders i guess <laughs> well no no it's not to put a weight off my shoulders it is uh, sometimes it feels good to um move at the space at which you wanted to move and frankly speaking after all all said and done right from amazon when i moved to uh, publish a sapient 
sometimes i feel that in sapient we work lot faster than amazon because when you are there in the consulting side lot of clients give you a shorter time and they expect miracles right like so uh, i i keep telling to my teams right don't underestimate yourself the the speed at which you are moved i have not seen even in inside amazon people move at this speed right so i think it's generally relative to the uh maturity of a business like and i don't mean maturity in terms of um in in terms of capability i mean maturity in terms of like how how long has the business been established how refined is the product that we're developing because i think if you take something like uh you know i had the experience of being in amazon instant video pretty close to the start and obviously you had the experience of doing the amazon shipping pretty close to the start and the the pace that you go when it's small is pretty damn fast and then it probably slows as you get bigger because you're resting on your laurels a little bit yeah so uh, but I, i tell people this right it's not about a company as a whole right even within amazon they i always say that right there are like three types of uh, if you can call it a life cycle of projects which go through right like which the projects which are starting up right now which are always exciting fast paced you get the resources what you want and you you are trying to uh, shoot to the moon right and all those kinds of stuff like everyone is excited and doesn't and then comes the next phase right and everyone talks about okay now that you have built and got the thing where where is my bottom line right like how much profit are is generating uh, so they 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 sort of drive on capturing market share and uh, uh, trying to sort of tighten saying that do we really need to do this do we need to really do that that question starts getting asked and then there's a third phase wherein like it is all about okay do i really need this system anymore but i still need to keep it running because so many people are dependent upon it but no one wants to work on it the teams are basically tired or like uh, uh, not exciting work because they are keeping the lights on and uh, uh, trying to get every every <laughs> every dollar uh, accounted for right and and even within amazon we we had teams like that right we had uh, things i i remember like when i was specially working i had to get a very small change done from one of the teams and i was like i i couldn't understand right saying that okay why why is this team taking so much time or like there's there's so much process involved in trying to get something changed from that particular process and then i realized right like that team was in the third phase right like no one cares about the team but everyone depends upon the team right like and no one wants to work on it because they get incremental changes and they work where in in a very and they need to be more more careful let me be more respectful right like that they need to be more careful and that is what happens with a lot of traditional companies right they build this multi billion dollar enterprises over 100 years so either they are being more cautious or they don't want to disrupt anything and people feel that oh these guys are moving slow they don't react and, and all this because they are afraid right they are going to uh, they are going to collapse the whole thing what they built over 100 years so the same way right i think it is not about uh, a company as a whole it is what stage your product is in so if you can always find something to uh, how different parts of your product in different modes that is the ideal combination so i keep on telling my team saying that okay which part of the features are in startup mode which parts of the uh, uh, features are there in consolidate and build and scale mode and which parts of the things are there in retire mode right and you need to have all three parts 
so if you then the team is exciting right but if the team is working only on new features like they're only doing shiny things right like they don't care how much it costs how what it does right what is the implication or if they're working only in the lights on thing they're bored right no one wants to work in the team they just want to sort of uh, what you can say uh, they'll put too many processes and nothing moves right so uh, but how do you how do you then close the loop on that so cuz you can see, you can you can visualize that as a linear direction of like my thing is i always look at the backlog and uh, very clearly identify these three the features I, i classify the features or the nature of work which a team is doing into these three phases no matter what they're doing right so there should be some part which is exciting and new there should be some part which is uh, how do you sort of uh, uh, build and scale that basically expand uh, the features are basically expansive the other other part of work is basically optimize and uh, reduce right so uh, so if the if the backlog is skewed in only one or versus the other that is what i try to intervene right and that's what i try to audit right and it happens in in everywhere right including architecture right including architecture i put this lens saying so, you know, okay because uh, some some architects try to create all the new things right they'll take every single cloud service which is coming new they put crypto in this they put, you you name it they put it on all in it and say okay this is the architecture we need to build because this is the future architecture but that's not viable right like you should have some new parts there should be some dependable uh, tested and tried and tested parts and there are some parts you need to figure out how do you sort of remove them right so that balance should be there and yeah as i get older i am i started believing more and more in balance uh, and that is the only way you can keep it uh, surviving but how do you then take something that's in retirement mode and bring it back around to startup do you have to sort of disrupt because you know we were talking just before about tesco and how we probably were able to help the whole organization go from almost retirement mode back into disrupt you know that startup mode um do you look for certain triggers you know so what i look for is i'll put it like what i'll try to do right you always try to dismantle and reassemble what we did in tesco is exactly the same thing right we, we were structured in certain way we we completely changed those structures we said that okay we are going to realign teams as products and services uh, and but we still had legacy pieces we didn't like sort of overnight throw it all away right like but what we said is like every team will now after this restructuring every team will get something new to build everything will have every team has to maintain some legacy stuff which they need to sort of retire or something and every every team had to make more efficient as the as the budget has has decreased like they need to sort of do something more with what they already have right like so so that way one one way i'll try to do it is basically break and dismantle the pieces so basically break the organization structure and create new organization structures that's one way of doing it so that like you you distribute the pain and uh, distribute the newness across the people right the other way i'll sort of do is uh again wait for the windows of clarity and that is something which you can't really create like like i talked to you about like covid like disruptors right what mm. are the kind of disruptors you can create to uh change an organization behavior some things which we did like for example uh in tesco you you remember right like we uh, we went and changed the titles and told people that okay this is your new behavior we expect from this new titles we didn't change the people we changed the titles that is a disruptive event which we created uh to tell people like okay we want you to operate in a different way right the same way i i did the same thing even in uh, in sapient right like we we changed the um the way the teams are behaving by changing the their roles and responsibilities so that gives a newer impetus and newer uh, uh, incentive for people to work in a different way and that is the disruptive things which you need to create if that is that answers your question so yeah. so creating that um 
they they think they referred to it in in the Amazon techniques was uh, to create dissatisfaction was your uh, your trigger point. If you can create like a positive dissatisfaction, everybody gets fed up that they could be doing something better. That's a trigger point. The, the other thing which I uh, which I try to do is say if something is painful, uh, make the teams do more of it, not less of it. Right. So they <laughs> and they will find a way to change that. Right. So and and that that came from saying that okay, if uh, if the teams are doing a lot of manual tasks in uh, say a CI like in in a continuous integration, right. So the book basically talks about ask the team to do ten builds a day, right. And mm-hmm. you you will know that within two weeks they'll automate ten of their tasks, right? Like they'll not no longer be doing <laughs> manually, right? But if you're asking them to do only one build every week, they will never automate, right? So. Yeah, it's a good impetus for change. Doing something uncomfortable, try and stay outside of your comfort zone. <laughs> anyway, on that point, I think that's probably a good way, a good point to uh, to, to wrap up. So, uh, I mean, thank you for your time today, Rakesh. It's been uh, it's been great to talk to you again, and we've covered a lot. So, uh, so thanks for that. Thank you.